Welcome back to DMnastics, the gym for dungeon masters to work out their minds. I'm one of your hosts, DM Neil, aka Jote Moniac. And I have a returning friend to the gym, none other than. That's right, everyone. I'm back. It's Matt Keel. And today, we're going to be talking about another article that I stumbled upon. And did I have to spend way too much time to try and figure out which ones we've already done? Yes. But I don't think we've done this one. It is entitled Dungeons and Dragons, simply because they want SEO to pick it up. It has nothing to do with anything else. They don't have to put that. It doesn't help the article at all. Dear listener, that's why it's there. Ten. Again, literally because SEO forces you to put a number. Story ideas for long campaigns. I mean, you gotta use some language, Neil. You gotta work the algorithm, the Google. I want to be able to find this article. Like, if I am a person and I'm like, hey, I need some good ideas for some narrative hooks for a long campaign, I don't want to have to scroll through 10,000 pages until i get to the very bottom so i love an seo maybe does that make me sound crazy no, it's it works i don't have to like it though but this one is on the gamer and was brought to us by lucas ola and as you've heard one of the things that we were talking about before we started recording is me i'm the forever dm with the same table for a really long time sure mm-hmm I should be doing these things. That's probably why I picked this article to just call myself out to myself saying, hey, you know, you're going to play with the same people in the same campaign for multiple years. Maybe you should plan that out. Not saying that everything has to be the same, but having a start and an end and figuring out the middle or even having bullet points. But no, I just start stacking stuff on top of and hoping it doesn't fall over. You are hilarious. Now, listeners, if you do not know who I am, I am originally from Detention of the Dragons, which is all about helping new players um, DM, helping new players learn Dungeons and Dragons, and most specifically, helping teachers to run D&D at school, specifically like the club setting. So for me, each year in the beginning of September, I start a new group with a new campaign of Dungeons and Dragons. And then at the end of the school year, like I end that campaign, there is no year to year to year like campaign. It is a finite amount of time. So this is something that I have been using for years. Like what is going to be my fun narrative hook for each, you know, school year of Dungeons and Dragons club. So I love this article. I resonate with it a lot. And I need it to resonate with me. And to do that, we're we're going to start talking about a couple of the ideas. Um, and as always, there will be a link in the show notes so you can see the rest of them. But Matt, what is the one that stood out the most to you? Okay, so the one that stood out the most to me, and is currently the one that I am using, is the idea of a magical artifact. So the magical artifact, it is the MacGuffin, it is... The reason why your adventurers of different classes and races and imagined backgrounds are coming together collaboratively as a group to work towards a plot line and a goal. So I love the idea of a magical artifact being this continuous 
plot hook, the reason why the players are participating in the adventure. I like it. Uh, I literally watched a movie with this concept just last night. If you have not seen Onward, it is worth watching. Onward is worth watching if you want to cry all of the time. I call the movie. I call the movie spoiler. Dad is pants because dad. Only half of dad shows up for most of the movie, yeah. and it's just a pair of pants walking around. And as a person who, you know, is a little bit older at this point, I'm not old, old, but I'm a little bit older, and I have seen family members leave my life. It's like, oh, man, this is making me feel really sad about stuff. I thought it was just like a fun romp with D&D-type fantasy characters and Chris Pratt being kind of a lazy tiefling type character driving around in a fun van nope prepare to have your heart stabbed and your eyeballs tearing up with all of the emotions that also definitely happened but it remains a good movie and the whole it is the whole plot is that they are trying to find um the ultimate MacGuffin, and then all the things that they go through and like clearly seeing their level up process and things like Mm -hmm. that i think this one works really well as long as you're doing a good job about making it kind of known that the conceit of the process is eventually finding that. Because I think if you if yes. you put it, there's a way that you can put it out there where then the assumption is that will happen quick. That you it sure. will be mm-hmm. step one in the process of everything. And so you got to really make sure like, no, 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 no. This is a big deal kind of thing. This is a big campaign. Yeah. Now. One technique that I used, and I definitely did not create this plot line, but what I did, which I thought was kind of like a fun twist, was the group of characters at the beginning of campaign, they meet up with a mysterious figure in a tavern, and since it's school, it's a non-alcoholic tavern that just sells milk and soda and things like that, but they meet up at a tavern and they need to recover this magic item called... Uh, the Odin Sphere, which is just a video game made by VanillaWare. I've never played it, but the MacGuffin sounded like it was kind of a cool thing. So the characters have to recover the Odin Sphere. So number one, that's their goal. And I can add all sorts of different like adventures and kooky characters that they can meet along the way and different challenges. But one thing that I thought was really important that I did is they got to the location where the Odin sphere was like locked in a, like a sealed temple. So a big portion of their campaign was going through this temple. And then they defeat this big boss. Who's also trying to break in to the vault that contains the Odin sphere. And then when they break in, guess what? It's been stolen. So it's not just like the goal is so far away that they're never making progress towards it. So it's like they get so close and then they find out that it's been stolen. And then the next part of the campaign is like, well, you need some magic runes to actually activate Mm -hmm. the item. So now I'm like, okay, how much more time do I need in this D and D campaign for the rest of the school year? Uh, probably about three magic runes. So guess how many runes need to be like activated. They need to find three. And that kind of like makes them, continuously um, have some progress towards this goal without this item being so distantly far away that it's like, oh, we're we're trying to get the resurrection stone. We've never seen it. We've never been close to it. 
Um, I feel like it adds a little bit more depth and more meaning, especially when they make progress, but then encounter these obstacles along the way. Yeah, I also think that one of the interesting things is like we always do things really linear when it comes to D&D in the sense that like Mm -hmm. if they go to that temple, maybe they don't get through it and they have to come back. So the idea that like, which Mm -hmm. I feel like we never do. And so then it's just like, oh, no. But then you also think of, but that's what almost every video game does. So it's just an interesting thing of like maybe, but maybe at the same time, like the video games that I grew up on before starting D&D were different than the ones that maybe someone would grow up on now. Oh, no, because then you're transitioning into like an open world. So you'd be even less doing it. All that to say, the idea of having them hit the temple, it clearly establishing that they cannot complete the temple and then having to go so that they can either by getting stronger, by getting more items, by doing more things to come back and get the Odin sphere. Yeah. So I think it's a cool thing. And once again, you were saying, is it a little bit linear? You could make it extremely linear. You could make it extremely very like sandboxy where, hey, you you need to like recover X number of items. Do it in the way that you want. You are not being held to any like specific path. Uh, so I think it does give you that flexibility, whether or not you're playing with seasons, like like seasoned players that really like that style of game. Or if you're playing with new players, for example, who really need a little bit more direction and push narratively. So they have an idea of what they're supposed to be doing and then they can interact within the seeds that you're setting for them. And I, and I think the other thing, and I think you did well stating it, but I want to come back to it is that it also needs to probably stop the campaign when they they get the item, because Mm -hmm. often the item is going to be world changing. You know, the, in the article it says, or maybe a free use wish spell. Okay, we're done. I'm not playing in a campaign where I gave my players a free use wish spell unless it's to follow up and counteract how the person has unlimited power and is now very evil um, and we need to stop Mm -hmm. them. Uh, So, yeah, like getting that MacGuffin often will need to be kind of the end of that arc or the whole campaign. Well, I mean, and it's a little bit different, but if you, if you look at, for example, like Lord of the Rings, they start off with the MacGuffin and the whole idea is to destroy the MacGuffin. We don't get a whole lot of story after the ring's been destroyed. You know, the people reunite, people go on boats, that type of thing. Like, it's the end of the movie. Like, we don't kind of really care what happens to the other human nations and what's Aragon doing and that type of thing like that. The same thing should happen with this. It's not like, oh, cool, we have this new magic item that we can use within our universe. Like, we've you've basically hit the end of the campaign. That's when, you know, Curtin is going to, like, go down, take your bow. You've done, you've done this story. You so, yeah, it's not just a magic plus one item. Um, it should be something that is just narratively is the conclusion to, like, a long campaign. Neil? What about you? What do you think is a good tool for a long campaign? And, of course, referencing the list um, that we are working with today. That would be very funny if I didn't. Uh, but number eight is Crime Lord, which I think okay. I think could work really well. And, again, I think about all the properties that – like movies and TV shows and things like that where there's just this – you know, you have to peel back the onion of the underworld um, and basically level up 
through them as you're leveling up to figure mm-hmm. out what the crime lord is. So are you saying that they should be trying to bring down a crime lord or are they working for a crime lord? Um, Why not both? Or option three, okay. what if they are trying to become a crime lord? What if they're trying oh to become gosh. one? All okay. of these work really well for a long campaign because mm-hmm. the idea that because if you do the last one, as much as it may sound like it, that is probably the one with the least battle, the least direct combat. Because if you're going to just take over becoming a crime lord, then maybe there's a battle. But if you're trying to become one, like it may mm-hmm. be more likely that you're doing a lot of charisma checks or intimidation checks or um, investigation and doing all this research. The idea of becoming one is now very interesting to me. Uh, but my first thought was, you just stumble into a bar, they you get roughed up, or you rough sure. them up, and now you've ruffled the feathers of the people that were in charge of the people that you roughed up, only to find out sure. that mm-hmm. there are people above them, and eventually you're going to draw the ire of the actual crime lord themselves. Yeah, and I, once again, I think you get a lot of neck narrative flexibility with this for example if you really wanted this to be some sort of like battle based turf war where you're constantly getting into these street fights that type of thing like that you could do something like that you could have a variation where now this is some sort of uh, um, stealth mission where maybe where maybe they are trying to recover certain items from a rival faction that type of thing like that. Or you could be sort of like big dinner party, try to build these relationships with other crime lords to create different factions. So once again, I think it gives you a lot of flexibility in the type of story that you want to play and also the type of story that your players want to participate in. I also think that there are only so many times that you can pull the rug out from under your characters. I think a, oh, hey, you got... got the- the crime lord no it wasn't the crime mm-hmm. lord that's only going to play one at most two times in my opinion i think if it's just constantly like no 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 um that will get old oh my god i would lose my mind if it was like oh you brought down don corleone just kidding there was super don corleone over there i mean I guess maybe you're almost getting into a loop. You've taken down Super only to find out that behind him is Mythic. Oh, oh, yes. So, yeah, you're right. People will start distrusting you as a DM if you are always pulling the rug out from underneath them with a different big bad that was actually behind things. So, yeah. Yeah. So, So I think kind of a classic trope, and I think figuring out how it works best for your cam for your players in campaign that you want to set up is having let's say it's a mayor or political figure in your campaign only to find out that like you get to them but no it's some you know dark because it's dungeons and dragons some darker malevolent force that is then behind them i think that that's a mm-hmm. pretty solid twist because it can lead you to depending on how high level your campaigns are it could lead you to the underdark it could lead you to another plane entirely and those sorts of things but not then having haha only to find out it was this deity that was pulling the strings of them and maybe that's okay too but i again i just don't so many rugs before they're just laying on the ground saying leave me alone stop telling me lies i 100% agree with you on that one. So 
There you go. Crime Lord. Okay. So if you look back through this list, so we've kind of broken down two pretty pretty decently. But what is your honorable mention? Okay. Honorable mention, Neil. I think for me, I don't know why I'm obsessed with this. A good old-fashioned curse. Like a big curse that needs to be broken. Okay. I like it. I think it resonates with my love, which is a controversial statement of Castlevania II Simon's Quest. Have you Whoa. played this game before? Yeah, but not yesterday. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's been a hot second since this game has been out. And it has, to my knowledge, never officially been remade because the game is crazy. The characters... I think most of the characters lie to you, but there's no way to tell that the characters are lying to you. The game sounds like it might be like poorly translated, but in fact, like the clues are just so cryptic, you'll almost never figure out anything. It is a game that was, for all intents and purposes, designed to be played with Nintendo Power because you just have to like randomly duck mm. at a wall and then a tornado picks you up somewhere. But anyway, one of the cool things about. Castlevania 2, I believe Simon's Quest, is that it is the sequel to Castlevania, and somehow, when you kill Dracula in the first one, he gets cursed, so he has to bring back Dracula, and then kill Dracula to break the curse. And I love the idea of, like, a curse that is doing, it's like, it's cursing you to death, or maybe it is like a curse that transforms you. Maybe it's like a, a for example, like a werewolf curse, or uh, I recently just had like a game. It wasn't exactly curses, but you could get these curses on this this one mission where it would slowly turn you into a tree, and if you got affected by too many curses, then you became a tree permanently, <laughs> and that was like a big sticking point with these characters that are fighting this plant wizard. So I love the idea of the curse because it really makes your characters do a thing because there's always going to be some big bad or some sort of like artifact MacGuffin that's causing the curse. They have to pursue that thing. And if they don't, then they succumb to the curse. So I love characters being put at a disadvantage because oftentimes we like to roll our characters in D&D with like all 18s and one seventeen for a stat and full hero background and no flaws. So like to go into a campaign with some sort of um, disadvantage and also for some sort of incentive besides I'm an adventurer and I want to see the world and get gold. I think it's cool to have something like that. I like it. What about you? Do you have any from this list that you would call it honorable mention? Yeah, this one's a little bit tougher to make into a plot, but I really like the idea. So then I think I could I would work on it. Um, but monster hunting, uh, at, at which point I think you you have to have some society, some structure, some guild, something um, that the players can then work their way. Sure. Through. And then you have some conceit as to why. Like, is it just that the area that they're in or the world itself is just so overrun that the only way that like the world functions is with these monster hunters i think you know sure. attack, attack on titan is potentially a place you could pull from but or is it that they just or is it literally they just show up uh and then you have to be this uh strike team that goes out and deals with it 
if only there was some sort of video game reference about <sighs> monster hunting that you could utilize I mean, for inspiration. That one is interesting because it is just, hey, there's a quest. You want to kill monster? I do. And then you go out there and you die. Uh, <laughs> you do die a lot. You do die a lot. But it is an interesting concept. I think the idea, so for me personally, I don't know, this is a, a different discussion for maybe a completely different podcast. But one of the hard things for me as a DM is making battles, quote unquote, worth it. So, um, for example, D&D, it's a game. A lot of it is going through dungeons or temples and things like that. And you have these little encounters along the way. And the little encounters are fine, but a lot of the time, especially if you're using some of the older published 5e Dungeons & Dragons material, you're probably almost going to win every battle that you encounter, which is just like five goblins, unless your party is really underleveled or too few people or something like that. But I really like the idea of bosses because bosses, big monsters, they have a lot of hit points, they have cool powers. I like anything that has some sort of like layer action where it changes the gameplay. So I like the idea of this concept of focusing on monsters and monster hunting, but you're always getting into these big epic battles against these monsters that are for all intended purposes, a little unpredictable than just like, oh, look it, it's five soldiers. Well, they either have a sword or a crossbow. Mm-hmm. We know what they're going to do. But like, if you homebrew some sort of like Titan type monstrosities, it's like, what do they have? What are their spells going to be? And what are these layer actions that really contribute to the battle of monster hunting? I like it. So right, we've done it. We've done it, and if you want to let us know, either of us know, about the long-running campaigns, the ideas that you have, you can always email us at dmnastics at gmail.com, and of course you can head over to Twitter, where you can find us at dms underscore block, me at jokemaniac, and of course everything else on the network is at blockpartypodcastnetwork.com. But, let's head to the post, workout, cool down, and stretch with the light bulb. Light ball. So, Neil, we're in the post-workout. It's been a while since I've been in the gym. I've been working out. I need some ideas. What do you got for me today? Okay. I realize I don't don't know that we do this as often, but one of the things that can make your life easier as a DM is to give your players things to make it easier for them. Sure. And so this today is monstercards.ca so originally i had found a link to some printed monster cards specifically for the beasts in the srd because one of the most common things that happens is i transform into i summon this mm-hmm. and i don't know what that means because surprise surprise i do not have the badger stats just in my brain sure ready to mm-hmm. go so the idea of having the in the same way that like Having the wizard or a player that is only recently playing a wizard having spell cards instead of thumbing through an alphabetical, not spell, not spell level broken down list inside of a book 
or searching a website and having to type it in every time. Having these cards available specifically for your Druid player, I think is an absolute must. I think it's just convenient, regardless of how long the person has been playing. But obviously it gets a little bit more uh, helpful if they're really new. Yeah, Neil. So as a teacher, we call these things manipulatives. They are things that students can interact with when they're working on an assignment. So it's not always just something in a book or like a study guide, but these are things that students can physically interact with. So I love the idea of even having cards as a manipulative for players, specifically someone like a druid who will wild shape, but they don't necessarily know what those statistics are for that beast that they're transforming into. I also think this is fantastic for new DMs because one of the things I see with DMs all the time is they try to plan an encounter and guess what they're doing? They're flipping through the book, they are jumping onto their phone, and they are trying to find statistics. And here's the thing is a lot of times, especially when you're a new DM, you're using a few like sets of creatures, goblins, you know, kobolds, that type of stuff like that. So it really makes sense as a new DM or maybe a person who is working with new players or new DMs to print off some of these most common monster cards and be like, here you go. Here's your stats. Put them in an envelope and you can give them to them when they're running their battle. So it's a very cool idea. It's not groundbreaking or life-changing, but it is extremely useful. I'd like to turn into a commoner. It was the first one I saw that like stood out as that's not something a person would uh, necessarily change into. I had a reverse druid who was a fox that turned into people. So I would love to know what the stats of a commoner were. Perfect. You just I'm, I'm blending in. I'm blending mm-hmm. in. That's right. Oh, oh, the narrative of that of like I'm doing human things. Hello. Oh my gosh, yeah. I I love that character so much. My friend and podcast host, Josh Reistead, when I came to our campaign as a reverse druid with Mage Hand and default Fox form, it was just, he's like, what the heck is going on? And I'm like, just shenanigans, Josh. All shenanigans. Yep. And I must commend this website in the sense that it is not flashy. There are no ads. It is extremely fast to filter, to search through, because again, there is literally nothing but the text. I mean, there is one ad spot when I click on an actual thing to look at, and it's literally just to buy the physical monster cards. So there you go. That's literally only advertisement on this entire website. And you can favorite. You can favorite the monsters you like, so... You can go back much more easily. I think that's sometimes a thing that we just need. We just need simple websites to help us run a more efficient game. So there will be a link in the show notes. And then, like I said, you can definitely get those and take them to your game. And again, they'll help you. Now that I've seen that these are all the monsters, my original idea was helping your druid player. And this is clearly just going to help everyone. Mm -hmm. But with that, we'll turn out the lights and head out of the gym. But before we go, I want to implore you, the listener, to join the forums, the Discord, Twitter, and anywhere else you can find us and take part in these challenges, exercises, and other amazing conversations being had. To do that, head over to bit.ly forward slash DM banter and try some DM 
so your players don't ask, do you even lift? 